0: I don't know whether you've been following them, but I've been following a series by Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winning economist. He's been blogging in the New York Times. The central theme of his piece for that he would like people to understand is inequality is a choice we've made. Now when you have a choice between generative transactions and extractive ones, he'd suggest To change the world, all we need to do is consistently choose the generative ones. Now I learned this very early, at the age of eight I learned how to play Monopoly. I spent hours perfecting my game. I have nine brothers and sisters, I'm the fifth of ten, I really wanted to be the master of Monopoly. By the age of 10, I could extract vast fortunes from my siblings and end up owning most of the board. After many of these games, no one wanted to play with me anymore. But the odd thing is, my unequal wealth didn't improve my well-being or my relationships with my siblings at all. In fact, it did just the opposite. If we stand back and look at what's going on in society, the same's true. By the age of 12, I had learned to play a generative form of monopoly. I often still won. That was part of the point. But everyone had a chance to enjoy the game as well. In all our economic transactions, we have the same choice. To approach them in an extractive caveat emptor fashion which says, buyer beware, I take no responsibility for the pain and suffering I will inflict upon you, which detracts from the common good, as you can imagine, or to approach them in a generative fashion, one that enhances the common good with each transaction. This applies to the food we eat, the clothes we wear, and the things that we consume. We have many, many transactions in the course of our day, and in every transaction we choose extractive or generative interactions. If you go to most parts of the world, they will tell you Americans, it's pretty clear which we always choose, and they often don't understand why. Our culture, our civilization is at risk, and it is useless to blame capitalism or corporations for our dilemma. Well, go ahead and blame them, but it won't do any, make anything different. In the financial collapse of 2008, we have seen the enemy. And I'm sorry to say it's us. Ours is a society that has made a pact with the devil. In this case, I mean the devil of consumerism. Where we have sold our well-being for rapidly expanding material goods and an extractive economic model that drives growth in our gross domestic product, or GDP, at the cost of healthy human relationships, at the cost of our family's well-being, and at the cost of the surrounding planetary ecosystem that we call Earth. This is not somebody out there that did this. We did it. And like most deals with the devil, what we thought we wanted, what looked so good, to do such a deal, and what we actually received, wasn't nearly worth the cost we collectively pay, and the cost we're passing on to the next generation. The growing gap between the rich and poor threatens our democracy, it threatens our sense of community, our ability to be with one another, and it threatens our way of being in the world. There are steps we can take to be part of the solution, and many of us are already taking some of those steps rather than be part of the problem, but it requires us to be countercultural, and we need to understand how pervasive the problem has become in America and why. The United States of America is a very, very rich country with the world's largest economy, one of the highest gross domestic product per capita in the world today, and one of the highest recorded gross domestic product per capita at any time in the history of this planet. You would think we made this deal. We should be happy with it. Americans consume about four to five times our fair share of the resources of this earth, and then we turn them around to the rest of the world and tell them what they need to do. Americans are nominally a democracy. And yet if you look at what's going on, we have sold our state legislatures. We have allowed them to allow to, to gerrymander electoral districts to increase divisiveness in the US Congress and allowed them to change the election finance rules to ensure money has more influence than citizen votes on American legislative outcomes. We are as Americans, the major contributor to climate change. And we have no voice in our governments to what it's going to do about it. Now economist Paul Krugman has shown that extreme concentrations of income, wherever they have shown up in history, are incompatible with real democracy. If I have a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times the resources you have, It's hard for us to be co-equal in a democracy, no matter what charade we shall hold up here. So over the last 40 years, in pursuit of an outlandishly materialistic American middle class existence, we have been turned into mere consumers, selling our democratic rights to those large corporations and wealthy individuals who saw a profit opportunity in taking over our government and taking over our legal system. Now I'm trained financially, they have been very richly rewarded for those investments that they made, with American corporations now enjoying record profits, largely due to these falling wages and salaries of all the people they employ, while paying less in taxes than ever before. The super rich, especially financially savvy managers of capital receive a higher percentage of national wealth and pay a lower percentage of taxes than at any time in the last hundred years. I grew up with the Bible. I look at this and say like Esau, the biblical person who sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge, this seems to me what we have done. And I don't even like porridge. This needn't have been so. If we had not elevated our consumption above our most basic human rights and dignity and opted for extractive transactions instead of generative ones, it would be a very different America we would be living in today. I grew up with a movie, a Jimmy Stewart movie that you may have grown up with too, called It's a Wonderful Life. That was our last attempt shortly after World War II to say, we have the choice. We can either live the American dream by being in community with each other and in being in fair economic relationships, or we can pursue those things that come cheaply. America chose those things that come cheaply. Marjorie Kelly, who's a fellow at the TELUS Institute here in Boston, has a new book out called Owning Our Future, which I find a very compelling case for what has happened. It describes how Americans have, over the last 40 years, consistently chosen extractive capitalism over generative capitalism for even the most modest gains. We will go and buy a product that we know is made with slave labor or under unfair working conditions because it's 10% cheaper. Modern marketers have worked mightily to persuade us that what we earn, how we earn it, and what we spend and consume are far more relevant markers of our identity as human beings than who we love, our relationships within our families and friends, and our civic obligations to our local community, or at the state level, or even on a national level. She says it's all about what we continue to own and what we're willing to sell or give away. When our commercial transactions are overwhelmingly extractive, in order to save 10 or 20%. I don't care, I don't wanna know how they made it. I don't care, I don't wanna know how they treat their employees. Those are extractive transactions. When those happen, the generative businesses die or are taken over by extractive ones. And over the last 30 years, as I've been in business, I've been watching this happen around me all of the time. Businesses and individuals who are looking for the common good are being bought up by people who figure they can make more money if they can just change the terms of the transaction. This is a core problem for a society. Questions about who owns the wealth-producing infrastructure of the economy, who controls it, and whose interests it serves, among the largest issues any society can face. And we have given up a lot of our control, a lot of our ability to be in generative well-being Transactions with those around us in return for a little bit more material goods. Now, I was born in 1955, and at that time, if you look back at it, most corporations were much smaller and less powerful than the U.S. government. They also mostly behaved generatively towards their employees, their suppliers, and other stakeholders. It was considered, if you're going to do business on a repeated basis, which you obviously do with your employees and your other stakeholders, You needed to be able to do something that was in everybody's interest. There was a built-in regulator that we would behave well. Shareholders received a fair return on their capital, but not at the expense of their employees and broader community needs. At the time, the average public company CEO earned about 20 times the average employee in their company. It's a question of whether that's a fair distribution, but in the last 30 years, that has now grown to 400 times the average. I think there's no question it's not a fair distribution. And back then, employees of public companies, you wanted to work for a big public company. They did better financially. They were most stable. They could treat their employees better. They had better pension plans than small businesses or financial firms or government employees. But even as early as when I graduated from Harvard Business School in 1980, our model of economic relations had become increasingly extractive. When we put the two out there, Oh, I'll take the extractive one, please, because I get a little bit more in this short-term transaction. And corporations were increasingly encouraged to become bigger and more profitable at the expense of their shareholders, especially, expense of all stakeholders, especially their employees. And rapacious greed became not only acceptable but honored and sought after. Growth became our primary measure of success. I have been a CEO of a public company, I have been a CFO of a public company, you cannot tell your shareholders today that we're not going to grow. They want to hear we're going to grow faster than you expected us to, and then hear it again next quarter. You may not have noticed, but we ended millennia old usury laws, did away with them. You may not have noticed, but we made discharging debts and bankruptcy nearly impossible. This is to move back from a generative relationship to a form of slave relationship. I'm particularly disturbed when I look at uh, this generation of college students and the debt that they're taking on, especially if they're coming from working class families. They we are creating for them a situation where they can never really choose how they're going to live their lives because they have this debt that cannot be discharged. It's over this period of time that the gap between the wealthiest and the poorest began to expand in unhealthy ways. And it wasn't an accident. We entered into these transactions freely. Today the largest 1,000 corporations in the world control roughly 80% of global industrial output. So they control human impact on climate change, species extinction, unemployment, poverty, stagnant wages, staggering differentials in wealth. Bloated debt levels, and the justice and equity of our electoral system. Those have all passed out of the domain of politicians and voters. And those are now all privately owned decisions. Most politicians understand who their masters are. And I need to tell you, it isn't you and me, but rather the ones who control their political futures as well in a high stakes money raising environment Kelly says that economic ownership is the gravitational field that holds our world economy in its orbit, locking us all into behaviors that lead to financial excess and ecological overshoot. Extractive ownership maximizes profits for senior executives and shareholders at the expense of everyone else in the economy. This is greed. It's the way greed has always been defined. It is not good. We need to be prepared to stand up for our values, even if it costs us something in terms of our consumption or standards of living. We need to return to a more generative, life-sustaining economy that worries more about the common good than creating opportunities for excess individual wealth creation. When you walk out of these doors today into Harvard Square, you will have a choice offered to you everywhere step along the way of how you will use your money and well, it'll be primarily extractive or it'll be primarily generative. This is a choice we're faced every day. I live in Concord, Mass. I work in Brookline, Mass. So I have ongoing relationships with many of the merchants, the restaurants, and shops in those towns. When I buy something, I also engage in human interactions. I tend to go back to the same place. I have pleasant relationships with these people. This, these are commercial friendships, but these are part of being human. They're worth far more to me than the slightly higher cost of goods and services in these towns because these are generative forms of transactions. But we need to look beyond the local level. We are particularly blessed as a community in terms of our resources. We may not always think so, but we are, compared to the rest of the earth. There's much we need to do, and we need to look out at the rest of the world. The average global income per person is roughly $9,000 a year. That's about 150 times what it was. That's about 10 times what it was 150 years ago. It's grown dramatically, pulling billions of people out of abject poverty. Yet, over a billion people live on less than $500 per year per person, while the richest 1% of the population on the planet has over 200 million dollars each year. Come to. Them. I don't know where fairness lies. We, we know in proportional economics that there will always be some sort of pyramid, but 200 million versus $500, that is not, there's no definition where it makes that fair. I think we need to support the UN goal of doubling the average income of the poorest people on the planet and paying for it out of taxes on the richest people on the planet. There's more than enough food and material resources to adequately feed and clothe everyone on this planet. So it's a question of who gets to decide and what their priorities are. What takes precedence, individual greed or the common good? Who are our neighbors and what do we owe them? When I had this conversation with other religious leaders and even business leaders in other parts of the world, they go, well, the problem's America. They've made it very clear where the America values lie. Over the last 30 years, America has opted to give multi-billion dollar subsidies to agro-industrial and energy firms and enormous tax cuts to the wealthiest, while savaging our social safety nets for the poorest. Now Loretta, my wife Loretta and I are both successful entrepreneurs before I came to ministry and she's still today running her own company. So we are, I'm told, at the bottom end of the top 1%. We're very lucky. But as you use, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. So we have given away more than 100% of the Bush tax cuts that we have received to organizations that need those money far more than we need them. I think Unitarian Universalists need to align our money with our values by joining the fight for a Domestic Workers Bill of Rights, currently before the state legislature and not getting nearly enough voices supporting it, where we look at it and say, domestic workers currently have being exploited and abused by an indifferent America, where nobody in America today, certainly not in Boston, should be asked to live on a a wage of less than $10 per hour. Nobody. In fact, I'm not sure at this point that any Unitarian Universalists can ethically justify eating in a fast food restaurant when we know that they pay many of their employees under $10 per hour and routinely exploit them in terms of their hours and working conditions, firing them if they make too much noise about the fact it's unfair. This is to align our spending with our values on a daily basis. As moral people, we need ownership of our communities, our government, and our economy so that it can be better serve the common good. This isn't just about demonstrating against corporate greed, though that's well worth doing, or making changes in investment portfolios that won't ultimately make a difference in the way the world works. But it's being clear about our values as human beings and what changes in our our priorities and our lives we're willing to make in order to bring about a more just and sustainable society. Unitarian Universalists are a tiny fraction of the US population, well under 1%. But historically, where we all get behind something, we can help change the whole country. Since the end of World War II, Americans have enjoyed rapid growth and unparalleled comfort and material resources. Yet opinion polls say we are less happy than we were then, and less happy than most of the world's people are today. Yet during that time, imperial America has wreaked havoc on the economies and ecosystems of much of the rest of the world. How on earth do we justify this? Americans have a larger share of our working class population in prison than any major country in the world. And less than 8% of them were convicted for violent crimes. Most of them were convicted for crimes of being poor, people of color, undocumented, and these crimes, so-called crimes, we've pushed them out of being able to get ways to make the ends meet and then arrest them for the things that they do under those situations lead to stigmatizing them and pushing them deeper into misery and unemployment. We are creating, systematically, an underclass Stiglitz has documented strong interactions between poverty, race, and governmental policies if certain minorities are disproportionately poor, and if the government provides poor education and health care to the poor, members of the minority will suffer disproportionately from poor education and health care. If you don't believe me, just look at what happens to a baby boy born in America who's a person of color versus a baby boy born in America who's a person who's white the difference of four years in terms of life expectancy, 74 versus 78 years. Persistent wealth disparities lead to health disparities and undermine the justice of our democracy. A land of super rich and desperate poverty cannot sustain a true democracy. We can call it anything we want, but if it's not each person has an equal vote, it's not a democracy. We have traded our democracy and our well-being for economic gains that now have mostly going to the rich anyway like most deals with the devil, you didn't even get what you were hoping to out of it. The economic conditions we face are due to choices we as a society have been making over decades. Stiglitz says there's still time to change. He writes the trends in inequality can be reversed. A few other countries have managed to do so. Brazil had one of the highest levels of inequality in the world, but in the 1990s it realized the perils, in terms both of social and political divisiveness. The result was the political consensus across society that something had to be done. There were massive increases in education expenditures, including for the poor, social expenditures to reduce hunger and poverty. Inequality was reduced, growth increased, and the society became more stable. Happiness, as reported by both the wealthy and the poor in the society, went up. Brazil still has more inequality than the United States, but while Brazil has been striving, rather successfully, To improve the plight of the poor and reduce gaps in income between rich and poor, America has allowed inequality to grow and poverty to increase. Now is the time to change for the common goods and Unitarian Universalists should be at the forefront of this. In our UU tradition, if you want to look in the front of the gray hymnal you can follow along with me, we are guided and inspired by our principles and purposes, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and society as a whole at large, the goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all, and respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. Yet with average household incomes in our congregations, nearly twice that of most Americans, I don't believe you UUs can ethically sit here complaining about someone else big corporations, or the wealthiest 1%. We need to stand on the side of love, to stand on the side of the poor, stand on the side of the dispossessed, stand on the side of the undocumented, those shoved into poverty by government imprisonment and laws that crush the lowest levels of our society. We can do this. Unitarian Universalists have done this many times before. So my wife, Loretta, and I decided we need to live our lives in such a way that our society becomes more just and more ecologically sustainable. I want to encourage you to do the same from whatever resources you have. We've set up, we have resources, so we've set up a charitable gift fund so that we can tithe for those in greater need. This is part of being generative with how we handle our own money. Now, you may choose some other approach, but I would urge you all, wherever you have the opportunity, to work to reform our tax system so that unearned income, that which the wealthy receive, most of our income is unearned, is taxed at least as highly as earned income. Why should we pay less if we didn't work for it? There's no logic to that. I encourage each of us here to resolve we will work for justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, including our economic transactions in Harvard Square or anywhere, wherever we go in the world so that we can help to bring about the society that we once had and that we would like to have again. I think this is what it means to be Unitarian Universalists. Amen and blessed be.